Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. I'm Liz DB. And I'm Alfie Parker. And we're joined, as always, by our doggy diva, co-host, travel buddy and fur baby, Dolly. (laughs) So if you haven't been listening, in this series, we are going to be exploring UK and Ireland's wonderful arts history and culture as we make our way from city to city. And for this week's episode, we are in Coventry for the next seven days on the fifth stop of the Sister Act UK tour. Is that your tummy? What's my stomach? Oh dear, I'm not sure we should keep that in. <laughs> Is that the Maltesers? Apologies, that's the Maltesers. Anyway, so Coventry, you have been here before, but you didn't think you had. Yes. Uh, now, I remember uh, the last time I was in Coventry was on tour with Joseph in his Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I remember en route to the theatre from my digs going to Ikea and getting meatballs. And I remember that now. You need to explain what Ikea is. Oh, I'm sorry. Of course. If you don't know what Ikea is, it's a big, wonderful place. It's normally the shop's normally about five stories high. And it's like a warehouse shop that sells everything from like sofas to light bulbs to plants. I should say it's Swedish, by the way. That would help. And then they always have a little restaurant. And in the restaurant, they do Swedish meatballs. And they are divine. So I used to always go there en route to work and get my meatballs. And I remember Coventry seemed familiar. And Lizzie told me that I hadn't been there before. But I was like, I've definitely been here. And the IKEA's gone. So that's why I didn't know. It's quite sad, isn't it? Uh, I love that you're like, Lizzie told me I hadn't been there before. <laughs> like I'm in charge of your life. I asked Lizzie if I'd been to Coventry before. And Lizzie said no. So, because she's my fiance and mum. Do not say that. That makes me feel sick. <laughs> yeah, I have been, and it's nice. We we have friends here. Yeah, we're actually having a lovely time. Yeah. So I wrote like a few little bits just to kind of like remember what we've done so far this week, and to kind of like talk about the important things to do with tour. Um, so we travelled by train, didn't we? We did. And it was actually a bit of a nightmare journey because we came all the way from Edinburgh, and there had been train strikes the day before we love train strikes so what should have been three trains ended up being four uh we all got thrown off the train at preston didn't we yeah and then yeah just had to do four trains with all the luggage and the dog luckily there was like a little crew of us all from work yeah and we all helped each other get there safely something that i can't remember if we've mentioned already is that when you're on tour People have their preferred way of travel. We don't drive, so obviously trains are really kind of our only option. There's a couple of other people that prefer trains. Nine times out of ten, you always bump into the same people on travel days. So on this part of the tour, we've always been bumping into Ella. Mm -hmm. Ella Clayton, who is uh, a wonderful dresser. She helps me get dressed, which is nice. In life, not even at work. Not even in the show, just in day-to-day life. She's great. You always bump into the same people. Normally, it's Castel Park. Yeah, my Castel. Before Alfie joined the tour, Castell and I would always be on the same trains and he would help me and Dolly with our stuff. And it's hilarious because he's actually allergic to dogs. 
so we always call him the forbidden fruit because Dolly's actually obsessed with him and he's obsessed with Dolly, but they can't go near each other. But he's the best. Love you, Castell. We're staying in a lovely room in someone's house. Shout out to Liz on Airbnb. We really struggled to find dog-friendly digs here, actually. We were meant to have a self-contained house and then it cancelled on Airbnb, which is always really helpful. So I found this lovely room that we're staying in and... Liz is an absolute legend. So Dolly can't come to the theatre here, but Liz has been looking after Dolly whilst we've been at work and she sends me photos of them chilling out together and she's just been really kind and has like really gone the extra mile because obviously on Airbnb I'm not expecting someone to look after my dog for me, but she really wanted to and they're having a really nice time. Yeah, uh, I mean, Dolly is in her element and is definitely, while we're at work, having cuddles on the sofa. It's been super, super good this week and we're very grateful that Liz has even offered because it helps us out, especially when theatres aren't allowing dogs in. You know, it, it just takes the weight off our shoulders a bit of either having to try and pop back or sort out dog care or even just like, you know, Dolly's sitting on her own, which I know that she'd be fine with, she'd just be sleeping. But it's nice that actually, if she wants, she has the freedom to go downstairs and have a cuddle and have a play. And, you know, she's been taking her toys downstairs to show Liz. So she's been very relaxed, very spoilt, no doubt. But she always is. Always. You know what she's like. But the audiences here have been great as well. As I said, I've never played Coventry before, so I didn't really know what to expect. It's been a, a difficult theatre to do the show in because it's it's a small theatre. There is literally no space in the right-hand side wing. So I know our technical departments haven't found it the easiest space. But audiences have been lovely. And actually, as a space to perform in, it's been great. Yeah, yeah. It has that intimate kind of feel to it. It's not the biggest house, but it goes up quite high. Yeah. So it's kind of like they're right on top of you, which I quite like. Please rephrase that. Right. <laughs> because the house is so high and tall, but it doesn't kind of go that far back. It feels very intimate, almost like the audience is part of the performance. That's better. Not that they're on top of you. <laughs> because that's something very different. It's like a slightly sad week because we're losing our super swing Chloe Hopcroft at the end of this week, who has basically been back saving Sister Act musical for us yeah um, uh, he's got another job Ooh. oh well booked and blessed yeah. hashtag but it's been quite nice because we've had quite a nice like social week getting dinner as a cast and just kind of making the most of having her there and yeah yeah it's it would be sad to see chloe go so what did dolly do week there is no what did dolly do section is there Alfie? which is normally your segment it is normally my segment but it's not there but it's for an exciting reason because this week we have picked up a hitchhiker she is a bright light of the west end stage who has been seen in the beautiful game one of our favorite musicals ever <laughs> young frankenstein which also we both loved only fools and horses which is an absolute bucket list show of mine wicked I've never heard of that one. Have you heard of Wicked? Is that new? I don't know. Must be new writing. Um, the 39 Steps, Taboo and more, including her recent stint as the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz at the London Palladium. Have you heard of The Wizard of Oz? Is that is that also new? I, I don't. But today, she's conjuring up some wickedly funny little stories from her adventures in the national tours of Bedknobs and Broomsticks, Beauty and the Beast, and she was also her fucking cat. 
I wish I could roll my R's. That would yeah, be very disappointing. Perfect. That was much more. It's ha- well, it's sort of Halloween y, so it's fine. Anyway, luckily, tonight's the night we get a masterclass from this Cinderella because, Mamma Mia, it's Diane Pilkington. Hello, Diane. How are you? <laughs> Oh, I'm good. That was fantastic. <laughs> Amazing. I feel like some of the delivery was definitely questionable, but I gave it my all. I did it with gumption, which is all we can ask. It was perfect. Perfect. <laughs> you can do it. Neither of us can roll our arms. Perfect. So, Diane, yes. what has life been like since you returned from Oz? It has been life. I mean, to be honest, it was a pretty big, should I say whirlwind? Is that cheesy? It was. I mean, it was crazy, crazy, crazy schedule. Amazing people. Amazing job. I absolutely loved it. But I was so broken by the end of it. Like, more broken than having been on tour. I can't even explain why. I was on stage for about 17 minutes. But I think being evil is really, really hard work. So I've just been, well, not just been, I have been being a mummy and my little boy's just gone into year six he's really you know I think kids really need to support this year so I've been doing that I've been doing that and going seeing shows been all the things we can never do when we're working yeah (laughs) (laughs) pretty much yeah and I've been relying on the good good grace of friends and ex-colleagues for getting me in to see shows because obviously the other thing we can't do when we're when we're not working is afford to do shows as well so it's like it's a toss-up isn't it you can either afford to go but you've got no time or you've got loads of time but you're like really can I afford 150 quid to go and see that (laughs) have you seen anything amazing recently yeah oh my god I mean I went to see the little big things that was amazing I went to see diversity last night I went to watch the lovely Ashley banjo in diversity at AL3 and oh my god that was brilliant it was brilliant um and tonight we're going to go and watch Jersey in uh Sunset Boulevard come on <laughs> this is what I'm so excited for I have a ticket for a couple of weeks time I'm literally so excited me too I actually um I texted Caroline she this morning going the day is here so <laughs> So we're, we're, um, we're looking forward to that one. Bit of a date now. Oh, and she did a really amazing interview, I think, on The One Show last night where she was talking about being in theatre and how she's got a newfound respect for it and how hard it is and the amount of work and she feels like she's like an athlete. So I think that's really good for people to hear someone like her kind of talking about it and being really honest about the amount of work that goes into it. Absolutely. That's really great to hear because, you know, it is. And I think we take it for granted that we we do those eight shows a week and, you know, you bust a gut and, and you, your voice holds out and you train and train and train and you, all that kind of thing until it all goes wrong and you get an injury. or so, And then you suddenly realise how hard it actually is because what I find, and I'm, I'm getting on a bit now, so I'm a bit older than I used to be, things don't heal quite as quickly. And what I find now is that if my knee goes, then you can guarantee it won't just be the knee. <laughs> I'll work on that and then the hip flexor will go because I'm trying to do something. And it's just really punishing, isn't it? Especially doing what you guys are doing at the moment, touring. It is hard work, but brilliant. I mean, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. There's a great payoff, but it's it's nothing to be sneezed at. <laughs> no, not at all. So you've actually, you've done the segue for us, which is really <laughs> helpful there. What we've actually brought you on here for, which is to talk about touring the show. So we're going to 
set off on our own yellow brick road now, Diane. There you go. Let's tie it all in. <laughs> it's very good. And we'd love to hear stories, basically, from touring, because what we really want to do on this podcast is kind of talk about aspects of touring that people don't know a huge amount about. Obviously, people know that big musicals suddenly appear in cities all around the UK, but it's kind of the in-betweeny bits that people don't know a huge amount about. So I guess we'll kind of like ease our way in with some easy questions and then we can talk about nitty gritty yeah. a bit. So sure. do you have a favourite tour that you've done? I obviously really enjoyed the, the Bedknobs and Broomsticks tour because it's the most recent and it was the most brilliant show. I loved it so much. I loved the character. And in in some ways, that was my favourite job to do on tour. But my least favourite tour, purely because it's the first time I've toured with a small person who's still at home and can't be taken out of school. So I can't hoik him on tour with me. So that was really challenging. It's a very challenging thing to do as a parent, as well as on top of everything else so yeah it's, it's, it's hard it's, it's really hard isn't it because you kind of you weigh things up massively I loved Beauty and the Beast tour because we were there for two and a half months in, in venues and one of them was Manchester and you know all my family are there so it was amazing but I was also much younger then so you know I'd be like yeah I'm in Manchester for two and a half months whereas on tour with Bedknobs it was a very very challenging role and I'm a bit older and I was also trying to get home between venues to my child so it was pretty exhausting but fulfilling so probably that one I'd be lying if I said it wasn't Bedknobs just purely because the show was so incredibly special and that's why we moved heaven and earth for me to go on that tour with the massive good grace of my partner Neil (laughs) and my son who got a lot of PlayStation stuff that year (laughs) so he probably loved that you did it yeah, he did love, he loved the show. Yeah, my son loved that tour because I think it was the first time I did something that he really got as well. You know, it was really suitable for his age and he came to see it quite a few times and he still thinks I can do magic. So that's great. I'm just looking over my shoulder. <laughs> and I, he got a lot of guilt presents. I'm not going to lie. He got a lot of guilt presents. So yeah, I think it was a happy time for him too. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies if you hear dog noises because we've now gone on the bed. Dolly now thinks he's involved. So sorry if there's random. Brilliant. <laughs> I think that that's perfect. Yeah. She is the star of the podcast, so it's only right. <laughs> I was going to say. We both saw Bedknobs and Broomsticks and thought you were amazing. Oh. Yeah, I'm like the biggest Disney fan and I loved that film and I thought that the adaptation was amazing. We came to Eastbourne to watch it, didn't we? Yeah. Because my bestie, Mark Anderson, was in it with you. Oh, Marky. (laughs) I love him. I love him. And then we had loads of your crew come on to Sister Act. Yes. Yes. So we ended up working with the lovely people. Yes, you did. I remember because I came to see you in Sister Act and I thought you were fabulous. Because uh, I, I saw it when uh, it was in town and I ran into literally the whole crew and wigs department at Bedknobs. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, they're a really, really lovely group. Yeah. Most of them now hilariously are going on to Wicked. So, um, yeah. <laughs> They're just going from show to show together, which is very nice, isn't it? 
It is. And they, they, they work. Well, do you know what? They work so beautifully together. They really do. I saw it in action on that tour because, I mean, back to that tour, we were we went out very, very quickly as soon as you could at the end of the thing that shall not be named. We were still wearing, you know, I know a lot of people started off at this point and we were still wearing masks in rehearsals. And it was a real challenge to put something completely new together that was really very devised by the group, obviously led by wonderful directors, but very, very hands on. And I remember auditioning. I did a two-hour dance call. I mean, <laughs> when I say dance, it was to make sure that you wouldn't like. Um, I think drop dead in the middle of the physical stuff they wanted you to do. It was almost like a boot camp. And I remember doing it with a mask on and thinking, <laughs> "This is actually going to be the end of me because I can't breathe." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I think with all of that, they had so many challenges, particularly the stage management, but you know, also the wigs and the costume, because the minute one person got it, the entire department would get COVID and be taken out. And then they'd be like, okay, what can we do? And everyone was so highly involved in making the magic happen that I think, yeah, we missed a couple of performances in Leeds because we literally couldn't make anything fly because there was no one there to do it safely. And the way that they adapted and the way that they made things work for as long as possible was incredible and as I, I, and Elise Baker Wiggs oh my god I remember there was one moment where we had to send someone who'd never been on for anything before it, it, like a completely different part and not only did this girl have to step in I think it was Jess Aubrey Elise just fashioned a hat out of stuff she found <laughs> it was just great it was so hands-on but they're an incredible team so I'm not surprised they're moving around together they are and Elise Baker Wiggs if you're listening you are a living legend yes you are <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because she hasn't done this little stint of the tour that we're on at the moment but there are traditions that she created that we still do backstage and she's just an icon yeah it's it was such a good bunch it is and yeah and it's nearly that time of year where we can all sing Elise Baker with to Feliz Navidad which we did all the way through the tour and it drove her nuts so there you go anyone <laughs> Elise Baker Wiggs sing Elise Baker Wiggs <laughs> so she's gonna have to listen to this episode because she's just got a lot of airtime. so I'm gonna have to she up. has <laughs> anyway I'll stop rambling get it on no 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 please ramble as much as you like it's it's so lovely to kind of hear about other shows on tour because we've both toured a few times but you know even just from watching bed knobs I can't really imagine a a more technically challenging show to tour because obviously you know let's take Wicked as an example yes it's technically challenging but it's been running for forever and a day and it's toured before you know it'll be a well-oiled machine by now but yeah I would imagine a lot of your tour was like let's just suck it and see and let's just kind of like work things out as we go along yeah very much well that's it and you'll be finding this now because I think you're going from big venue small venue big venue small venue and so when you say you saw it in Eastbourne and I'm so glad you loved it because I remember that was definitely one of the venues where I could take off and land but I couldn't move around it was very interesting and yes I think the reason that show ended up being a joy and a nightmare at all was because it was a beautiful perfect storm of a lot of people with a lot of ideas and we all got really overexcited <laughs> and so we ended up having probably four more vans than we were going to go out 
out with and everyone yeah everyone got overexcited and bounced off each other so it it kind of snowballed and you could see a bless michael harrison coming watching each run going oh right okay we're doing that now are we okay all right then uh let me just uh see if i can book another van uh so it was yeah it was interesting but so beautiful yeah like lovely to hear that you had producers who were supportive of that as well because i think that can be another challenge if kind of like that backing isn't there for those things to happen so it's lovely to hear that kind of like the creative side and the production side were in harmony and and wanting those things to happen very much so very much I think this was a quite a personal project for Michael as well he's he always I think has always wanted to do a Disney show and he wanted to do it in this way which was I'd say more akin to the way that they did the Lion King which I think is so awesome I love Disney shows I'm like you I'm the biggest Disney nut I love them you can see there are shows like the Lion King where they're really thinking outside the box and creating something that is theatrical magic at the same time as creating this beautiful world which we've seen the cartoon and what I loved about Lion King as soon as I saw it was that it was its own entity yeah it's not just a carbon copy of the film it's kind of like a different magic that's created isn't it very very much and listen that's been no way dissing any Disney because I, I did uh, Beauty and the Beast which was very much like the film and was beautiful because of it you know and I think that there's a place for, for all of the different versions I just I feel like that's what Michael wanted and like you say, it was incredible to have a, a producer that just rolled with it. Uh, he is, he's a hes a great producer to work for. Yeah, I've always heard wonderful things about him. Yeah. So we should try and work with him. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Definitely get him with Michael. He's lovely. <laughs> we will. All right, Michael, if you're listening, we'll be available at the end of next year. Okay. <laughs> So, since our regular listeners have already been to a few stops of us, we thought we should cover Southend, Hull, Stoke, Edinburgh and Coventry. So they are the places we've been to so far. So do you have any situations from those places that you can remember? Oh my goodness. Southend was the first time we went to a smaller theatre from a bigger theatre and it was a terrible shock. I remember that. I remember going, "This is, we're doing this, are we? But what was amazing about it is it still worked. It still worked without quite as many bells and whistles. And I actually rather liked Southend because I quite like the seaside. But you know what? I was very, very lucky on this particular tour that my digs were pretty good. Digs is a really important thing. It's something that we've talked about on this podcast that people are so shocked when you tell them you have to book your own accommodation and that sometimes <laughs> you're staying in like a stranger's spare room yeah so again very very lucky and I made a conscious decision right from the beginning that I could especially because of COVID I didn't want to stay in someone's spare room I've done that but I mean at the very first tour I ever did Tess of the Durbervilles I remember staying in a place which had an infestation of moths it was absolutely grim and I said in a lot of people's spare rooms on that one and it was terrifying sometimes because you know some people are amazing on the last tour I did I stayed in the spare room of somebody that we vaguely knew my husband had stayed there before and it was beautiful it was like you know it was like a home from home but then you get the ones which are downright dangerous dirty and you know some horrific stuff happened to people while we were on tour people being electrocuted in cheap hotels having people approach them on uh 
apps on certain apps to see if they wanted to come and join in with parties that were happening there and stuff like that. There was some pretty dodgy stuff going on. And there were people who every single venue would have to move within. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. When I went on tour, it was in Stoke. There you go. I've got one. When I went on tour with Cats, I turned up earlier than everybody else and we booked these digs and um, and there was like grime up all the walls. It was absolutely disgusting. But the best part of it is one of the rooms had a bed in it, which I kid you not, it looked like an ironing board. I, I, <laughs> I was like, what is that? And it looked like a folded out, but really low down ironing board. And I was just like, we are not staying here. They were, oh my God. Yeah, that was Stoke. <laughs> we got nice digs after that though. It's it's a shame because it's it's not Stoke's fault. You you remember venues for things like that? You know, oh, that's that venue where I stayed with that dodgy woman who kept knocking at my door every night, you know, or that's that venue where there were moths crawling up the walls. But it's not the venue's fault. It's just the look of the draw. And like you say, it's a bit of a weird thing that we in this country, our touring model is you book your own digs. And there are some unscrupulous people out there who have maybe got wind of the fact that exactly what the tour allowance is so they will charge you that full amount for something really substandard and also not acknowledging that that's actually supposed to cover your food as well you know so I think you know I have, I have strong opinions about it I know some people would prefer to opt out and book their own digs I get it but I feel like that there's a high percentage of actors that if you were given the choice would just be like yeah please just book us all into hotels get us a good rate and have done with it so that we can all be safe and not get electrocuted yeah <laughs> A hundred percent. And I don't know if you've ever worked international tours and stuff like that, but it's it's just the norm. Yeah, exactly. I haven't. I have done. Two, I have actually. Cats. We went to Portugal and they booked our accommodation, and it was great. You know, certainly anybody who's worked in the American tours, I haven't. But uh, I have a lovely friend, Caroline Sheen. She's very passionate about it as well, and she, you know, she's done Mary Poppins on tour, and they just book your hotels for you. You you don't have to worry about it. And it's quite anxious making, turning up. I don't think it's good for people's health, not uh, physical and mental, to be turning up in different venues and not knowing where you're going to be sleeping that night and whether it's going to be safe and whether it's going to be clean. And it's, yeah, it just adds an extra layer of, of stress to what is already a massive upheaval. You know, you're moving from town to town. Thank God for sat-nabs. Oh my God. So when I went on tour with Cats, they didn't have such things. And every time I turned up at a venue, which mercifully it was a three weeks in each venue because I have to turn up so early because I'd invariably be driving around a city I'd never been to with an A to Z map in my hand, crying, because not only did I have to find the theatre, I had to find some random house somewhere. So when sat-navs came along and now obviously Apple Maps, wow, that changed touring for me because I've got no sense of direction at all. Neither have I. Sometimes <laughs> I'll be like walking really confidently with Alfie and I'll be like, it's this way. And you'll be like, Lizzie, you're literally walking in the complete wrong direction. So, <laughs> but the other thing I was going to say is that I found so strange is that when I have worked abroad and we've all been in the same digs, 
it's also that level of safety that the producers know where you are. Mm, that's actually really true. And you know what? I'm fairly confident that when I went on tour years and years ago, you had to give your address. I am sure that we had to give our addresses out. And whether that was some level of control so that they could make sure that you weren't, you know, pulling a fast one and staying miles away, or whether that wasn't the safety aspect, because, yeah, that's really true. Yeah, and I've heard of stories of people having accidents in their digs and stuff, and mm. they, and people have had to, like, go and find where this person is because they don't know. Yes. Do you know what? I had to, that's really weird. That hasn't even occurred to me, and you're absolutely right. And I do think that it maybe has changed because I think I definitely remember having to give my digs address in every venue. And I think it was on Cats, but that was in 1987. Well, the thing is, this is what happens when you're a theatrical legend and you've been in the industry for this long. This is what we can only hope for, Al. Uh, hey, just a, just a sliver of that career would yeah, be all right. Yeah, we'll take, oh. take it. <laughs> Do you know what? I joke about it all the time, but I I do feel incredibly honoured that I've managed to push through all of those age barriers that uh, that we all hear about. And, you know, you stop being the ingenue, what you're going to do then? You're not quite this, you're not quite that. And I've been really fortunate that the right things have come along at the right time. I'm, I'm always very conscious of that because it doesn't always happen. Yeah, but also you're like really talented. So that's also a thing. <laughs> thank you very much. But yeah, uh, thank you. That's really nice. But you know what? There are so many talented people who just for whatever reason, I mean, I know, I know hundreds and hundreds and thousands of talented people who for whatever reason just slightly miss out on something at the right time. And it's just, you know, I, it, it's, it's hard work. And yes, you've got to be good at what you do and work hard. But there is a little bit of look of the draw going on there as well. I really believe that. I I literally wouldn't even be working in this industry if like fate and luck weren't a thing. So I absolutely believe in that as well. Mixture of everything. Mixture of everything. You can't you can't have it without hard work though. Absolutely. We're gonna talk about something which I'm sure you have stories about. Stage door. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's favourite subject. But before we continue, we are going to take a little ad break. G'day, and welcome to an extra short preview edition of Thrash and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast, trademark, where Auntie M loves to knit witty swear words into Dorothy's Christmas sweater. And speaking of nitwit, I'm Aaron, and I'm joined as usual by the only man whose name is an anagram of Munty Goat, as well as That's Me Quartz Time, because that's Matt the Quizmaster. How's it going? Hello. I didn't know that about my name. That's fascinating. Thank you. It's so funny. I had it as Munty Toga for like a day and a half. I did not see the goat. Well, What a fool. What an absolute fool. But anyways, guess what? What? We have another iconic West End diva in the merry old land of Oz today, and she is here to teach us the 39 steps it takes to trek the yellow brick road to West End success. And boy, George, has she been turning, turning, turning it out since turning up in Les Mis, which 15 years later led to her appearance in the film version where she played my favourite place to be, in whore number one. <laughs> then from less of the miserables to Tess of the Dubravels with greatest pride and prejudice that we suck a huge Aussie in. You are the wickedest link. G'day, along with a ring of the bell and a, oh wait, bell out of order. Please knock. Um, okay. G'day, along with a, <laughs> and a ho, 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 and a couple of, oh, 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 
news to the only <laughs> opera singer who can get the wolfman's tail wagging because mamma mia tonight's the night the innocent she-devil declares she loves me and love never dies which only fools and horses wouldn't know even in horse number one because when the cats are away the little prince will play with bed knobs and broomsticks a magical madame a record-breaking gal in the bubble plus i profess <laughs> a marvel of the stage who recently switched to the dark green side when a case of the red shoe blues blackened her soul and orange you glad it did occur because we've eased on over the rainbow and conjured up our very own wicked witch of the best kind who ditched the magician's elephant for a broomstick thumbing for a hit show as she flies into the current West End revival of The Wizard of Oz so surrender friends of Dorothy to this most beautiful dame it's the wickedly talented Queen Diane Pilkington yay welcome to the torture yay, chamber yay. how are you going <laughs> oh <my goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't even remember half of that stuff myself the look on your face was hilarious <laughs> You know what? I'm absolutely amazed because I was howling because I don't actually remember half of that stuff until you said it. And I was just like, how do you even know that I did some of those workshops? I'm um, sure they're not on my TV. We have ways. <laughs> Any experience with heavy metal? Glam metal, death metal, thrash metal, new metal? The list um, honestly, I mean, I grew up in the, I was a teenager, shall we say. So I guess that's your formative time when you start to discover your taste in music. Sort of the late 80s, I was very fond of a little bit of soft rock. I loved Heart. Oh, yeah. And a bit of White Snake and a bit of Death Leopard. Yes. And then I kind of moved over and I was very, I, I really quite got into the whole Nirvana kind of thing. And then I went to musical theatre college and stopped listening to anything apart from musicals for about 10 years. This week I picked randomly a band called Stitched Up Heart because I thought that sort of invoked the Tin Man and the Scarecrow at the same time in the weakest possible link ever. I'm really glad you picked this up. Mm, me too. Yeah. I'm really glad you picked this up because I, I didn't know these guys. Yeah. And there's many bands that I don't know. Um, there's many gaps in my knowledge, but I didn't know them. And I'm now a massive fan. <laughs> and so is my little boy. And it's really, really rare that I can listen to this kind of music yeah. with my 10-year-old around because there's usually a big fat E next to the uh, title saying explicit lyrics and I can't actually listen to anything like this. <laughs> So it's really lovely. And he he just really gets all this kind of stuff. He just loves it. So we've been having a great old time. Oh, awesome. And you can hear the full interview, along with more incredible legendary guests on Thrush and Treasure, wherever you get your podcasts exclusively to the Blue Network. Yeah, do you have any, like, good or bad stage door stories from tour? Um, from tour, you know what? It was a very, very bizarre one. A lot of people were quite upset because for at least the first part of our tour, at least for the first six months, we were actively discouraged from doing stage tour because we'd just come out of COVID. And after that point, when things were slightly more relaxed, I felt fairly uncomfortable because I was really hyper aware that the lovely, lovely people who come to stage door often are very emotionally involved in the show and, and invested and people do throw their arms around you quite a lot. And I got really paranoid that I was going to, you know, people had met, it sounds really awful. People have made that fantastic decision to put themselves in a group of maybe a thousand people and sit right next to them for three hours with no mask 
masks on at that point. That gave me the heebie. And, you know, I was massively grateful that people wanted to go and do that because at that point, if I'm honest, I wasn't going watching stuff because I was nervous of being in crowds. So I think I was constantly trying to juggle, wanting to... I actually quite like talking to people at stage door, but also wanting to stay on the show and not bring COVID into the company. So it was a really, really hard one. I mean, it's not like, it's not like, oh, woe is me. I felt bad quite a lot of the time. And the amount of times I put on Twitter saying, I'm so sorry, I had to run away, but we're taking it really, really carefully at the moment. And I know that some people were disappointed by that, but the first responsibility is always to the show. And that's actually regardless of COVID. I think we have to remember that the first responsibility is that you have to put on a good show. And if that means not socialising with fans of the show straight after the show, then that's the way it's got to be. I also get really overwhelmed in groups of people. I get massive anxiety by crowds of people trying to talk at you. And so there wasn't really that issue on tour and not at the beginning because people were very respectful and and also didn't want to come to the stage door and put you in that position. But towards the end of the tour, you'd get bigger and bigger crowds. And even without the sort of COVID element, I get a little bit overwhelmed. And so sometimes I have to not do it just because... I'm, uh, I know that it will, it will really stre- like will make me so stressed that by the end of the week, I won't be on the show. And that sounds like what a little wilting flower I am. <laughs> it's not at all. I, I also have, it's hilarious that, because people would never think people are in the show, I like it, but I am also extremely socially anxious and I'm not very good meeting people for the first time and stuff like that. You should ask Mark Anderson about the first time he met me because the fact that we are best friends now, that was not in the history books, believe me, because I honestly was like so shy when I first met him and wouldn't even look him in the eye because I get so anxious. Yeah, and I think that it is something, it's a real misconception about actors. There's quite a lot of shy actors out there. I started going to drama group because I was painfully shy, so much so that my mum was worried about me and found a local drama group for me to go to just to try and bring me out of my shell. And that's my personality. That's not something that has gone. I still find it like you, difficult to walk into a room full of people I don't know. I can't speak to anybody on the phone that I've not met. Oh my God. I mean, it's ridiculous. And and yet I can get up in front of thousands of people, but that's different. So, <laughs> so I think that it's more common than people realise. And if an actor is shy of stage door, it's not because they're not grateful and don't really, really appreciate the support. The first time I ever really experienced a, a large stage door environment was probably Wicked. And they actually, they managed it pretty well there and I learned to suck it up I've got better through practice so it is something I think you can work on but I still get filled with massive anxiety about it and I think it's because I think I might say something really rude to someone without meaning to <laughs> this is exactly it you never want anyone standing there to go oh she was really rude no <laughs> oh she was so rude so even if I do have to rush off I always try and be really polite but I'm so scared someone's going to be like oh she didn't stop oh I hate her now I know and you know what Lizzie to be honest they will <laughs> they just will 
I got a really mean letter sent to me once when I was at Wicked telling me I didn't care about the fans anymore. And without going into too much detail, I was having a really, really difficult time personally at the time. So I, I was worried I was going to walk out of stage door and burst into tears in front of people. So I kept myself to myself. And, you know, I, I just think be gentle, be gentle with actors. They're people who've got things going on in their lives. But also we all have an utter respect and love for the people who come and see shows time and time again. It's definitely not that we are like, ugh, can't be bothered with that. It's never that. It's always, always going to be something else. Yeah. Apart from, you know, really horrible people. And they, you know, you know who they are. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. I think we walk out of stage door and the audience thinks we're like these magical beings. And actually all we're thinking about is, oh, I need to put a wash on tonight or <laughs> what I'm going to do for my food prep. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. we are normal people walking out of our workplace I know and it's bizarre isn't it because if you put it into that context I used to always say it's like if you do any other job you don't expect people when you finish for the day and like you say you're trying to get a train and you've got childcare booked and you're gonna have to pay another 50 quid or something if you don't get back by a certain time (laughs) and you wouldn't dream of being like oh well that person didn't stand outside the office for half an hour anyway sounds like a right whingy old thing because I I do enjoy stage door and it if it, it when it's managed properly and when I can actually get proper time to talk to people as opposed to it being like manic because you know people are fabulous and it is actually really really nice to hear when people have enjoyed a show although I did used to get notes on Wicked and that wasn't pleasant and also my favourite first door, first stage door experience was when I was doing Lame Miss I walked out in a pair of dungarees and someone asked me if I was pregnant so I was just like oh okay so funny you just mentioned that because I was just going to share with you two of my favourite stage door stories so one of them involves me and Alfie we met doing King Boots and we came out of stage door one night and there was a group of people there and um one of them and the other one said oh do you want these two's autograph and the other person said no they were just the extras don't worry about <gasps> them one of our favorites <laughs> i'm covering my eyes i'm covering my eyes in mortification for those people isn't it just so awful but also so hilarious because i just think like how you that you've actually said that out loud in front of two people do you know what I mean like but we actually had a really awful instant recently on this where um one of our colleagues got fat shamed at stage door and someone said to him um are you wearing a fat suit in the show because your headshot's really skinny and you're not skinny on stage oh my god Uh, terrible why do people why do people say these things I've had a very famous person, actually, really famous, so I won't say their name, say to me, oh, it's you. God, you look so much older in that wig on stage. Why would you say that to someone? It's so strange. <laughs> Why do you say it? What? Do you know what? And then, and I, and I, this particular show, it was actually Young Frankenstein. I actually felt pretty beautiful because William Ivy Long's costumes were gorgeous and that wig was fantastic. And from that moment on, I thought, I look old. <laughs> so weird how like you know yes they were a famous person but they're still essentially a stranger to you and like you're then like gonna have an anxiety dream about it in four years time and be like oh my god <laughs> I looked old in young Frankenstein <laughs> <laughs> it's true and it's just come back to me I'm like oh my god yeah it really did make me go oh well you know <laughs> she might have been right 
it's just weird part of our job but you know you do just have to sort of walk out make sure you're smiling and just you know yeah I've had some incredible interactions you know when I have young plus size girls at stage door who speak to me and you know they say seeing you up there has made me feel like I can have a career in this industry now and I'm so like inspired and all of that stuff they're the moments that I treasure and I will never forget them and exactly I think it's really brave for people to wait and and say that to you I wouldn't be able to say that to people I'd be so nervous so I I know how much it means to people when you have those beautiful interactions like those can be so so special Absolutely, absolutely right. And you know what? That you've actually maybe think and reframe slightly how I feel because you're right. I wouldn't have the the I was gonna say rude words. I <laughs> I wouldn't be able to stand and wait and say those things to a stranger. I'd find it really, really hard. So maybe I need to reframe it in my mind and be not like I have massive social anxiety. How do I interact with these strangers? But I should maybe think these strangers have plucked up the courage to come and have an interaction with me and the majority of them are there because they enjoyed it not because they want to give me notes or tell me I look pregnant so um yeah I think I think I think you're right and it is those moments and the kids do you know what I mean there's nothing better than little people just being there and having maybe seen their first show and and sort of it's full of the joy of it and I take my son you know to see people after shows and he loves it although he pretends he doesn't maybe he just doesn't <laughs> Maybe you're maybe you're actually forcing it on him. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm using my child to get to talk to people. <laughs> you you need to before he gets into the teenage years and he starts telling you absolutely not. So make the most of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you have any funny stories about travelling between venues? <laughs> do I do I well why do they do this thing right first of all do they get a map of the UK and throw darts at it I know what you're gonna say and make the journeys the most ridiculous journeys possible it would just be like close their eyes they blindfold themselves they get a set of darts with numbers on them and chuck them at the map and then go right that's the order we're doing it in because it's like <laughs> Aberdeen to Plymouth <laughs> it's what and I like to drive as much as I can because, well, certainly it means that, you know, you do a show on a Sunday or a show on a Saturday night, whatever, and then I get to go straight away. I don't have to worry about the fact that there's no train. I can get straight out of there. Yeah, I'm knackered and I'm drinking a lot of coffee and taking Pro Plus, but I get home and I see my family for a little bit longer. So, yeah, it's challenging when they decide to put them at different ends of the country. And I know that it's because that's the theatres and that what the, how they wanted to book them. But I do think we should just be on some kind of rotation system where we follow each other around and just do a nice I don't know nice circular route maybe like one of those circles that starts uh, it's wide what is it when it goes in like a little snail and you end up in the oh, middle like a spiral yeah a little spiral that's what we should do start at the outermost point when everyone's still really fresh and then move inwards so <laughs> oh I think I've just solved touring so yeah <laughs> we had interesting times 
on some of those. But again, you know, I, oh my God, I tell you what, it's not really a touring between venues, but it's when I was doing Cats, I had my final for Glinda and there was a snowstorm, like a severe, severe weather warning snowstorm. And it was like a Thursday night show or something. And my final was at 10 in the morning. (laughs) So I got in the car and drove through snow. I kid you not. I don't know how I got to London alive. I don't know. So that was actually a not very funny horror story. (laughs) If I don't book this job, you know. I know. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I, I... I have to get this job because I have just put my life at risk to get it. See, that's the lengths we go to. Mm-hmm. It was to appease the, the finals team. <laughs> it was Nottingham in the middle of winter. Yeah, I just remember thinking I'm going to die this time. <laughs> this is pretty stupid. But we had a lot of cancelled flights and things on bed knobs. But you know what? That was quite nice. Whenever we had a little flying thing, Charlie Bronton, who played Emilius and I, would meet up at the airport we try and coincide our flights so we could sit and have an Aperol spritz. (laughs) (laughs) In the airport! Not just one either. We had a lovely time. And then, then later on, I found out you could upgrade to first class for like, I think it was about 70 quid or something like that. And it was towards the end of the tour. And you got all your food and all your drinks on there. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to tell anyone I'm going to do this. Because <laughs> they were like, oh, I'll get you. I was just like, I'm going to upgrade. Because they sent me a thing going, upgrade for £75. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because then I get to sit in the lounge. And I was like, you know, you're working out, are you costing it? You're like, well, I'd spent £30 in food in the airport. And then blah, blah, blah. So I decided I was going to do this. And I sat down in first class. <laughs> and I looked over the seat Jackie Dubois who was playing Mrs Hobday (laughs) and we were like that she is (laughs) the thing is as well airport and plane alcohol doesn't count no so fine you can have as much as you want it doesn't actually count it really doesn't especially if you've paid for it in advance (laughs) <laughs> and it's in a lounge but you know what I, I have to say I would not be flying on the day of the performance just in case anybody's <laughs> I pr- yeah I promise we are all very responsible and if you had just done a week of shows in South End, you would also be having a drink at the airport trust me <laughs> Yes, you trust will. us on this. An Aperol spritz is needed. Absolutely. And I think an Aperol spritz is fairly restrained. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. Okay, let's do a whirlwind through these last few questions. So, funniest person you toured with? Oh, Charles Brunton. He's utterly vile. I hope he's listening to this. He's vile. <laughs> he's wonderful. I adore him. I mean, there were a lot of funny people on that tour as well. A lot of funny people. The whole cast was pretty funny. But Charlie was my, he was, he was my right arm, really. I love him. He's trouble. He's such trouble. And he got me through some pretty, pretty tough times. Because like I say, it was a wonderful show, but really tough tour. Yeah. Most embarrassing moment during a tour. oh oh I know so it might have been when I didn't fly on Christmas Eve because Covid took out several of the magic makers so um so they said look Di we really want to go ahead it's Christmas Eve and there's kids out there is there any way you could sort of kind of do like an interpretive movement thing with the broom Absolutely not. So I did it. I did it. I I sat on a broom and didn't fly and just kept going, ooh, 
oh, <laughs> while everybody stood in the wings and howled laughing at me. I'm not going to lie. I would have also been in the wings laughing at you. I'm not going to lie. So would I. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. 100 percent. It's so funny. Well, I'm by no means a dancer. So if someone was like, oh, just do some interpretive movement, I'd want the ground to swallow me whole. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would have taken that over just standing on the ground, bending my <laughs> knees a bit and pretending to fly through the air. Oh God, it was mortifying. <laughs> and I came off and I went, I'll do that because it's Christmas Eve, but don't ask me to do that again. Please don't ever ask me to do that again. <laughs> Pretty iconic. That is iconic. <laughs> and lastly, the funniest tour moment that you still think about today. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, I'm going to have to think of one here. It's, do you know, it's a really silly one. And I know that I'm going to kick myself after this. But the first thing, because there will be something that happened on the Bend Ops tour that was way funnier. I can guarantee it. There were so many things that just could go wrong and did. I'm going to say when I was on tour with Beauty and the Beast, and it's so stupid and so juvenile. I can't even tell you how juvenile this is. But one of the serviettes <laughs> danced with these handkerchiefs and they dropped it and it got caught in one of the tracks, which closed up. The tracks, uh, for those who may not be theatrical or listen, like basically for bits of set to come on and not go slow sliding all over the place so a little little crack in the floor and it got stuck there because it was a Disney show and it was all very automated and 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 they probably something came together and trapped it but it looked like a hanky lying on the floor and I watched every single napkin fish slice all of these utensils <laughs> try and pick it up <laughs> But try and do it in a really balletic way where they kind of swept the floor. <laughs> and every time they were just stuck. And it was one of my favourite things ever. And it still makes me laugh. So <laughs> It's so good, isn't it? It's like the simple things that... And every single person was like using their stagecraft. Like that's what we're taught to do, isn't it? Like if you see something that yeah. shouldn't be there, try and get it off the stage. Try and get it. And they tried so hard. Everybody, everybody, literally everybody, about 25 people <laughs> tried to pick that hanky up <laughs> but there was no time for them to tell each other and it was great and it's really really silly and I'm sure I'm going to get off this call and I'm going to think oh no there was a brilliant thing that happened on bed dogs but right now that's all I can think about is that hanky it's a good one it's a good, that is a good one because I can picture it so clearly in my head <laughs> oh laughing. Diane this has been wonderful I honestly think we could like sit here and chat for hours and hours and hours I know I'm so sorry I'm a taxi service this is what I do at the moment oh cool so this is the less glamorous side you know when we're not working <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I'm I'm mom cab, so I'm about to go and take my husband to the station. <laughs> Glamorous has to be done yeah but where can people find you on social media ah all of the social media would be at diepilkey so make sure you follow diane because as you can hear from this she's an absolute legend and she has amazing stories and she's been in amazing shows and i feel quite honored that you've been on our podcast absolutely that was so fun. yeah i feel honored that you've asked me thank you so much i'm really really I've had a lovely time such a pleasure and we hope that we can speak to you again soon sometime and i know everyone at blooming theatricals is really grateful that you've given up your time for us today so thank you so much absolutely my pleasure it's so lovely to e-meet you both 
Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to do it in real life soon. I'd love to meet you properly. I would too. I would too. Thank you so much. Give Leslie a big squidge for me. Well, we love Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. So that's about it for this week's episode. Don't cry out. Oh, I know. That was a really weird noise. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear me. Luckily for all of you lot, we'll be back next week in Cheltenham, where we've also never been before, and everyone says it's really nice. No, and we're there for two weeks. I can't believe it. Be sure to tune into that episode. You can find us on all the social medias. Twitter, X, sorry, X. as it's called now, but we all know it as Twitter. Instagram, Facebook. I don't think we have a TikTok, do we? But maybe if Alfie gets good at doing TikTok dances, we could um, yeah. set one up. Did you know that you can purchase our theme song, Blue Skies, by the Australian band Walken? That's right. You can help support our show and hear the full track. All thanks to Drew and the boys of Walken. We're truly grateful for the support. So if you go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore, right at the very top, you'll see our logo where you can buy your own MP3 of Blue Skies, which will help us fund this epic adventure across the UK and Ireland. Plus, we can buy dollies and treats along the way. And we would also love you guys to email in any questions you might have. We would love this podcast to be as interactive as possible. We have an email address for you to send those questions into. It is 80playspodcast at gmail.com. 80playspodcast, all one word. And in the words of the contract family of Brats, so long, farewell. I'll be the same as you, as you, as you, as you, You know, this is this is I might say this is the joys of touring because let's face it, the Wi-Fi is you know you find you find you find some and then you get you move and you're like great okay now I've got to find it again and the theatres don't even get me started. <laughs> Terrible.